Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all new Zibby Mag, Z I B B Y M A G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Kylie Letty is the author of The Perfect Other, a memoir of my sister. Kylie received her bachelor's degree from Boston College and her MSW from Columbia University in advanced clinical practice and public policy. In 2019, she won the New York Times Modern Love College Essay Contest for a piece she wrote about grieving her sister, Kate. Her work has appeared in various publications, including the New York Times, Parents, and The Cut. She is based in New York City, and The Perfect Other is her first book. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss The Perfect Other, a memoir of my sister. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh, Kylie, I really loved this book. You're a beautiful writer. I can't believe you wrote it when you were 23, right? Is that... that's Yeah. Yeah. I started writing it when I was 22 and I finished at 23. Oh my gosh. A (laughs) A heartbreaking yet inspiring story. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about why you decided to make your personal story with your sister, Kate, and your family. And oh my gosh, I want to meet your mom after all this. Like, I feel so attached. Uh, talk a little about you know why why you decided to make it into a book and what the, the crux of the story really is. Yeah, definitely. Everyone always says that I'm mom. I think it's so cute. <laughs> she is the best, She's my best friend. So yeah. But yeah, no. So how this came about basically was that in 2019, I was a senior at Boston College, and I submitted to the Modern Love New York Times essay contest, just kind of on a whim, not thinking much of it. And I ended up winning the contest when it was actually my senior week. So <laughs> college, I was graduating. And it just launched me into this path where I had this opportunity to start drafting this book, you know, agents reaching out to me. And I realized I had some of it already written, honestly, over the course of my own personal writing. And it came together pretty organically. We got the book deal that fall with um, Hachette originally. And then we, you know, mergers, acquisitions, <laughs> a whole lot. And ended up at HarperCollins. And yeah, it's been a journey. But the book itself is about my sister, who was six years older than me. Kind of our relationship. It's about sisterhood. It's about grief, about mental illness, about love. And it's really about her struggle with her mental health and how to escalate over the years into head traumas and eventually schizophrenia. So it's really kind of looking back and trying to take this, this, you know, perspective in the past and see all the signs we didn't see at the time and, and how these behavioral issues start and they can spiral into something like this. And it's about her. Eventually she committed suicide. So it's also about grief. And the um, second half is really about kind of coming out of that experience. I'm, I'm so sorry for everything that you went through. And she did sound like such an amazing older sister and your relationship was so special. I was really interested in the head traumas that she went through and you described them in the book in detail and how once she was sticking out of your of her bedroom and fell from the second floor and kind of brushed it off and went off to the party. Another time she fell from uh, a couple steps when maybe somebody was hugging her, you're not sure what happened, but that required literally like opening up her scalp and the sub hematoma, whatever, I don't have the right language, bleeding inside the brain and your hypothesis. I, you know, in the book, you're clearly grappling with what is it? Was it, was the schizophrenia, should we have seen it coming all along? Like were these signs this? Were they something else? Were the head traumas what caused it? Can head traumas cause it? Even the PCOS that you mentioned, was that a contributor? You know, I I feel like you're trying so hard to untangle how it could have happened. And did you miss something? And what, what were the contributing forces? And there obviously is no clear answer, right? But where do you land on all of that? Yeah, exactly. I think, honestly, looking back, and once I've tried to put it all together and you know, originally when I was drafting it, I had a working title as Signs We See, because I was thinking of it as like the signs of mental health, but also in the grief section is kind of signs that someone is still with you and recovering that sense as well. But 
I think, honestly, we unfortunately had a perfect storm. I think there are probably a lot of factors contributing to it. You mentioned PCOS, which is a hormonal disorder. That was definitely probably something that couldn't have helped anything. And then we had the head traumas. I think that my mom and I, our theory basically is that if it weren't for the head traumas, we probably could have managed it better. Uh And maybe they just kind of sent her over the edge. Like it could have been something that we kind of had you know, medication for, we had therapy for, but instead it was just, this, I don't know, this kind of last draw. And I, I do think like, especially on this podcast, when, you know, you have, you're talking to moms and, and it just, you're looking at, everyone wants their kid to be happy and healthy and no one wants something like this to happen. So I think for me in writing the book was trying to piece together these facts and look at how can something like this be avoided in the future, whether that's prevention or just better treatments or more empathy, less stigma. And I have had a lot of people reach out to me in the process, just telling me their own stories and seeing how prevalent it still is. The aftermath when you had to deal with, I mean, you were still young when this all happened and had to deal with the, you know, the regular school of canceling a birthday party with your friends and having them be annoyed about it or being upset with your moodiness or just typical teenage hijinks, which you were carrying so much more and then immediately like having to write about a sibling at school and having to answer those questions. And the guy at college who put you on the spot, who was like, well, do you know, you told some people you had a sister and you told other people that you didn't like, what's up, you know? And it's so, I just, my heart kind of broke for you in all of these moments. And also just, there was, you know, some anger too, right? How are people so insensitive and how, like, I wish there had been more protection around you. I feel like you were so just out there and exposed. And I guess that is the way it is all the time with grief, but even more so with you being young, that you had to go through all of this with this complete lack of sensitivity, particularly from your school. And I don't know how you feel about it now, looking back, but I don't know, reading it as a you know, as a neutral third party, it just uh, was sort of horrifying to me. Yeah. You know, I think honestly, like we just don't know how to handle grief as a society still. I don't know if we have like the language around it and for suicide, especially, I mean, it has so much stigma around it. People just, they hear that word and they just back away. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a, like an opener. So I think I understand. I don't think it's like necessarily like malicious intentions behind it usually i think it's really just this lack of being able to help like it's it's like helplessness like how do i help my friend who's going through this how do i you know how do i help a student going through this like there's not a lot of answers there so yeah it definitely was hard and then you know you write a memoir at 22 about it so (laughs) yeah make it make it weirder (laughs) Uh, you kept coming back to the fact that kate disappeared right? This is in the opening, so I'm not giving anything away, but that there had been visions of her on the Benjamin Franklin Bridge wearing the red coat. And then suddenly in the next room, she was not there. And by the way, the the Reddit part, I just like could not believe that scene. I don't, you know, anyway, I'll leave that for readers, but you come back to there not being an answer, right? She, her body was not found. And there is no final resolution. And you, you kind of hinted it a few times, hoping that what if she were to just show up? You know, what if that was her? What was that random neighbor? Could it be her? And I know you said I had just sent you bookends, but my friend, my best friend Stacy was died in the 9-11 attacks. And not to compare at all, but just that there's no 
body to bury. Like you, the rituals of grief, at least, not at least, but when you go through that and you lay the body to rest and you have the funeral and you say goodbye and there's some finality and closure to that when you have a loss with someone just literally like disappearing into thin air, it's much harder. Or I mean, it's all hard and terrible. There's not harder, but there is a particular way of trying to wrap your mind around how that could possibly be and then how you just move forward from that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's interesting too. Like even when I was writing the book, I'd have like these nightmares, not nightmares, but just dreams. My sister would be like alive and she'd come and she'd be like, why'd you write this book saying I was dead? Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm here. Like, I, you know, it's still like, even when you know something and even though you have that intellectual proof, you don't have the physical proof, like you said. And it just I think it just delays the healing process so much. And, and I also think, I was, I was telling my mom about this recently, actually, it's just like, I think that our society used to experience a lot of death, unfortunately, like not a lot of natural causes, a lot more illnesses, a lot more tragedies. And we had better coping mechanisms around it, you know, more language around it. I mean, we had like widow's walks and stuff. I mean, people, people like, it was so common nowadays, which is really good. It's so much less common that people just don't know how to handle it, especially young people. So, you know, I think like just trying to normalize it and being like, this is a tragedy and it happened, but it doesn't make you different or, you know, any more damaged. It's just part of life, unfortunately. I mean, the scene when you were graduating, I guess, and then somebody was like, oh, how is your sister? What's she up to? And in the moment, you just made something up because like, how do you handle a moment like that? And then you felt so guilty okay. about it. And then you, you know, kept digging, you know, just kept getting into a deeper and deeper hole with the the lie, essentially, not a lie, but you know, how do you go into all that? How, like, why are you required to dredge all that up at every interaction? I don't know. It's... Uh, it's hard. And you wrote about it so beautifully. Like that's really like your story is compelling and so sad, but also so hopeful. And there's so much love in this book. There's so much love from you. There's so much love from your mom. I mean, when she was, you know, getting beaten up and would just like hope for those moments of clarity when like the real Kate would sort of show up and just like all that she was willing to withstand in that. I mean, there's just so much... There's just so much love amid the the pain. And even your, I'm sorry, I just keep like talking about all these different, but like even, even just your fear and the way you describe that in the book, I hope I dog-eared that page, but what it feels like to not have a secure environment for yourself, like in your own home. I mean, that's also a unique thing that many like sort of victims of violence and trauma have gone through. Like, how do you repair from that? Like, do you feel like you're repairing from that? I do. I had a lot of people, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if you're in this stage yet since your book just came out, but if you're on Goodreads, get off it. <laughs> I'm telling you that, but I'm on it. Like I read reviews a lot, which is like my worst habit. I check it all the time. My agent was like, you have to stop reading this. But I did, I had like one prickly review that said like, you know, this, I mean, this book didn't do it for me, but it must've been like so therapeutic for her. <laughs> and I was like, it's so interesting because I got that comment a lot about how this was like, you know, hopefully a therapeutic experience. And it was so hard to write the book, like going back to that headspace. And, you know, I had kind of recovered from a lot of it. And then I had to go right back and kind yeah. of like really dig things up. And I say in the acknowledgement section, like there's a difference between living something and then trying to make meaning from it. So yes. trying to look back and say, like, why this happened? What did I feel? Like trying, all that logic and all thinking, like it was just so awful, <laughs> so hard. And then now 
that's out in the world and it's kind of kind of a closed book in that sense it does feel kind of therapeutic like I do feel like a lot of it has been resolved for me like I feel like I'm at peace with a lot of stuff and I feel like my sister and I are on good terms <laughs> I feel like I did feel like she was helping me along this process I know I'm very spiritual so I, I felt her presence a lot and I think that even that was in the end kind of a healing experience but it was one of those healing experiences that really sucks in the in-between. Yes. <laughs> yes, process is not pretty. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I had another friend who I lost named Paige who I wrote about in my book. And eleven eleven was so her thing that she actually, we had her memorial service at eleven eleven. Like that's the time people were called to the service. Anyway, so I related to that as well. Not the book, just my life. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I wanted to see if I found, if I could find quickly. I loved this section. Oh, I, I dog-eared this because I wanted to watch the movie Uptown Girls, which I've never seen with Brittany <laughs> Murphy. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I was comparing my sister and I to the characters in that since I was like younger, but more serious. And she was more the fun, free-spirited older sister. <laughs> yeah, all of her injuries. Oh my gosh. Oh, I love this thing about how you find tickling odd because I also... I thought that I think that myself, this is not particularly relevant to the story, but you're like, I've always found tickling, I've always found tickling kind of odd how it's both painful and pleasant at once. You're laughing. And at first the burn feels good. It aches like your limbs after a long day at the beach, jumping over waves and exhausted high, but then your muscles contract. You have the distinct feeling of being out of control. A carnival ride that was supposed to be fun, but on a dime has grown terrifying. Some theories claim that tickling may have evolved as an evolutionary defense mechanism. The most vulnerable parts of our bodies are ticklish. Our feet, our armpits, our stomach, sides, and neck. Sorry, my allergies are terrible today. Because we are most sensitive in these spots. If true, this idea purports an innate sense of faith in the person tickling you. Like how a dog will roll over and expose his belly if he trusts his owner. We only reveal our most unguarded selves when we believe them safe. 
for years, Kate's aggressive behavior still felt like this to be a game of pretend. Beautiful. And also interesting for anybody else who's struggled with, with tickling. But then I wanted to read this passage, which was absolutely beautiful. My sister's sanity slipped slowly and quietly. The way you lose a train of thought or slide into a dream at night there and then not. She lost her edge little by little, an avalanche that picks up one rock and then another, a steady progression, and then in a flash, a tragedy, uncontrollable, too late. That's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. I do think that's also just very true of the experience. Like it's when you're looking for answers, it is so hard to try to find one answer for these things because there were so many factors and it's impossible to see the full picture when you're in it and you're experiencing it. And I know that unfortunately in our society too, the moms get blamed for everything. <laughs> so that was one thing I was looking at too, is like for parents who are going through it right now, like it, it's, it's so, it's so hard. It's so impossible to see what's going on. And there are so few easy answers in this. And that's I think there's a lot of hope, but yeah. Not to mention that your mom is working so hard. I mean, it's not just, you can't just look at it in a vacuum. Like everybody is trying to like keep the whole boat afloat in, in addition to this, right? You can't just, it's not just navel gazing and like sitting there and being able to watch and analyze. Like life goes on and you have to like provide for the family and do all these other things at the same time. So, oh, this was also beautiful. There's something about our body's reaction to grief that's almost too dramatic to be genuine. We slide down walls, crumpling on hardwood floors. The gravity of loss invents its own rule of physics. We collapse into ourselves, our chest meeting our knees, bringing our heads closer to the ground like that'll somehow make us feel more solid, more safe, to lie on the warm pavement and press our bodies into the hard earth. Dread encircles your brain, draining the blood from your temples and leaving a fuzziness in its wake like the static of a lost television signal. You want to cover your ears like you used to when your sister teased you as a child because the truth can't touch you if you don't allow yourself to hear it. It's as if you're a character in a movie watching the action unfold around you. Is my hand really covering my mouth? Why am I pressing my palms against my temple? Do people do that in real life? And if you're anything like me, the nausea comes first. The waiting in the depths of your stomach and the bile that almost rises but decides to fall instead. It's the nausea that never truly fades. It returns now and again when you drive past a bridge or look at an old photo. You think, if only I could puke. If only I could get it out once and for all. Maybe I could dispose of the bad, this feeling, this new reality. It would be cathartic, a release, an escape. Oh, that's one of the best descriptions of grief that I've like ever heard. Oh, thank absolutely you. beautiful. I'm so sorry you've gone through this, but absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and by the way, I have also played the game that you played with your friends, the game you called Who Would Cry at My Funeral. I play that <laughs> in my head all the time. I cannot explain how many times I have played my funeral in my head so much so that I'm like, maybe I should just have it early. You know, maybe I should just, we should all just get this over with and uh, I'll plan the whole thing and I'll just like, you know, everybody can do their speeches and be sad. And then I'll be like, surprise, you know, all good. <laughs> Let's like keep, keep going. But now you don't have to have one later. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it is interesting. It's like, I do think grief is so universal, but it's one of those unfortunate clubs where you don't get it until you experience it. And then yeah. once you experience it, everyone's kind of on the same page. <laughs> of how awful it is and what it's really like. And it, it's a very physical experience. And that's something that I didn't expect personally. It was just how like physically I would feel that heartbreak. I did up the nausea. I mean, all those things are, it's, it's again, like, yeah, it just, it, it affects you so much. And for me, when I was writing the book was just like, I know, how do I communicate this in a way that makes people feel not alone, that they can see themselves in it and it registers for them. 
I have a friend who's sick right now. And when we heard about it, I literally told my husband, I was like, I feel like I just like swallowed some sort of toxic chemical as you yeah. said, that. like it like goes all the way through your body and you just like feel it. And then every time we talk about it, I feel that same kind of, you know, scooping out inside or something with like needles. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Scooping out is a good, is a good word for it. It's very, it's, you feel very hollow sometimes. I feel like with that. Well, this is yeah. uplifting, you know, I'm sure like <laughs> this is really what you want to talk about on an early, early morning. Um, <laughs> wait, so this book and this, you know, this piece of your life aside, tell me about your life these days. Like, what are you doing? Where are you living? What's your life like? You're marketing a book, but like what else? And like, where do you want to go from here? And like, what's the happy stuff in your life? <laughs> there you go. It's a good segue. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in New York City right now. I'm not sure you can hear all the sirens outside my window. <laughs> I'm in New York. I live with a bunch of my friends in college. And I just graduated from Columbia, my MSW in May. So I'm done grad school. And yeah, it's in mental health care and public policy. So I'm hoping that I can use the book as a launching off point for that and try and do more policy work and do, you know, more of the public service in that sense. But I'm also writing my second book right now, which has been really fun. It's fiction. It's totally different. And it's just, it's all the best parts of writing without, you know, the horrible personal <laughs> tragedy element of it. So it's been really great to, you know, kind of pivot that direction. I'm hoping that I can just keep writing books. It's the dream. So fingers crossed that works out. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know if you have any interest. I'm on the board of an organization called the Child Mind Institute. It's about oh, yeah. children's mental health and everything. And they do a lot with destigmatization and prevention. And they're trying to find like a biomarker for mental illness early. Mm -hmm. So you can know what's coming. Anyway, if you're interested in getting involved, even on the policy I love side. them. They, they, they do such good research. They're so, I feel like, on top of it. And they're one of the best, I think, organizations that are trying to address this right now, especially in kids. Well, I'm happy to put you in touch with the founder, if you want to get involved or help. Yeah, or... definitely. Thank you. No problem. Do you play any sports? Like, what do you do when you're not cerebral? <laughs> I actually love pickleball. Okay. <laughs> My mom and I got super into it during the pandemic. We were tennis players growing up and we play a lot of pickle. That's really fun. I'm big on soul cycle these days. Nice. It's something I did not do before. And then um, when the book was coming out, I think I was just like so stressed out and you know, anxious about it that I just started going all the time. And now I love it. It's such a good release. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm excited in the city and things are getting better. And I live with a bunch of my good friends. So yeah, but lots of positive things going on. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I needed to feel better knowing that you were having a nice life. So thank you for doing that for me. <laughs> What's your new book called? Can you, can you say? I don't have a title yet. Um, it's still very early on, but yeah, it's it's really, it's honest. I'm thinking about trying to maybe transition it even towards the YA space. Oh yeah, more young adult because you know I'm I am kind of closer to that age than I'd like to be, and I relate to a lot of things still. And I grew up reading, you know, like John Green and all these big young adult fiction writers, and they kind of shaped me and how I approach writing and reading. And I think that's so exciting. So that's something that I'm exploring right now. That's awesome. I love it. Well, maybe one of these days I'll see you in New York. I'm not there now, but I will be in the fall. So uh be nice to cross, cross paths and everything. And yeah, I have so much respect for you. You're a really, really great writer. And I'm, you know, I'm taking 
I don't, I'm hitching my wagon. I don't know, even know what the right expression is. I can't wait to watch <laughs> your progress because um, I will read everything you write. I think you're great. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm so excited for you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we have a separate talk about the publication process. Yes, just, please. Yeah. It's like put it out there because it's a strange experience, but yeah. it's really exciting. Not to mention having to have people judge up your most painful memories every time you talk about your book, yeah. <laughs> which is also interesting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm going here again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah anyway. just steal your software a little bit. It's, it's yeah. Me. And I'm I'm the perpetrator in this case, but you know, not always. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, congratulations and stay in touch. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.